This week we heard of the tragic death of Fulham cult hero Papa Booba Diop. Known affectionately as The Wardrobe, Papa joined us in 2004 and made 84 appearances for the Whites, scoring nine goals. Many of those live long in the memory. The scorcher against Chelsea, the thunderbolt against Manchester United, the beautifully whipped free kick against Norwich on the final day of the 04-05 season. More generally, Papa was known around the world for scoring the opening goal of the 2002 World Cup as Senegal stunned holders France. A colossus on the pitch, over the last few days, we've seen nothing but beautiful stories about a man who brightened as many lives as he could wherever he went. A true gentleman of the game. Papa, you are taken too soon and we'll miss you dearly. Rest in peace. Papa Booba Diop, the man mounted himself, is playing as a striker. Booba Diop, what a goal! He almost burst the net! No movement at all, and Papa Booba Diop. His job, oh, it's wonderful. That is one terrific free kick. It's excellent by Diop, he's muscled his way all the way through. McBride, 2-0 Fulham. Papa Booba Diop was the architect. And now Diop with a shot. Oh, oh, what a goal! What a fantastic goal by Papa Booba Diop. Papa Booba Diop. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC, brought to you by The Athletic. And before we get into what has been an absolutely wonderful evening for Fulham with our first away victory against Leicester City, we thought it'd be right to open this podcast by talking about the man mounting himself, the legend, Papa Booba Diop. And boys, it's been a difficult week in terms of losing people from the football world. But I think this one has hit everybody hardest. Coops, it was a cult hero we've lost here. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, special significance for, I feel, myself and for people of, of my kind of age bracket and that I was watching Papa Booba when I was at the, the, the age which you're most malleable with a sort of regard to football. And he was one of those characters that I remember idolising massively when I was kind of sort of seven or eight years old. And yeah, I was genuinely heartbroken to hear about his passing at the, the far too young age of 42. So, you know, my thoughts go out to his family and he will be sadly missed. He was a, he was a real character and a fantastic player. Yeah, Drew, George just mentioned it, but it seems to be someone who was absolutely and universally loved by everybody he met at the club and beyond. It's, yeah, it's one of those, isn't it, where he's... Such a such a great player for Fulham and so many memorable moments. But also, what what you're getting is a you know a taste of the man and what a what an infectiously happy and happy go lucky and friendly guy he was, which you could kind of see on the pitch. You know, he played with that sort of verb as well. And you know, it struck me in Sammy's piece the, the the goal in the 2002 World Cup. I can remember all of us in year ten in my secondary school. We piled into a classroom which had one of the old TVs in the corner just to watch the replay of it. And then so when we signed him a couple of years later it did feel like we were signing a world cup winner because that, that you know at that young age everything is so important that you could almost you could you could reel off every single senegalese player in that 2002 world cup squad whereas you know fast forward 15 years in your mid 30s you, you can't name one because you just you're not as involved in every single aspect of the game as you once were so yeah he was um 
he was one of my favourites uh, at that era, and uh, it's you know, forty two is no age. It's absolutely terrible, terrible news. Yeah, heartbreaking guy. He left us with some wonderful, wonderful memories, though. Yeah, just that little um, goal video that the club put out last night. You know, obviously two absolute bangers against Man U and Chelsea, but just other important goals like away to Birmingham. He was just a top player, and why I was thinking about. Just, I've seen you know lots of tweets from Mark Maunders and Sarah Brooks who um, you know were, were working at the club at that time, and just the stories that they have from him, uh, it really gives a picture of as we were saying what just a lovely bloke he was. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you'd imagine that that up there he's looking down and smiling about what was a wonderful Fulham performance tonight, and you know one that he was he was mem- memorialised in after after the first goal, Adamola Lookman holding up his shirt, but. We'll, uh, we'll move into this, and I, I thought we'd do our introductions after talking about the big man. So just like to, to welcome to the podcast, Mr. George Cooper. Good evening. Good evening. Hello, Mr. Drew Heatley. Oh, it's lovely to be here after a win. Quite rare. <laughs> it is rare. It feels weird. And Mr. Guy Barlow. Hello. Yeah, absolutely delighted to be here after a win, just like Drew. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a happy feeling, isn't it? We, don't, we didn't, haven't had this that much. And it's one of those ones where you're like, yeah, excellent. I actually have done this one and the West Brom one. So I feel very blessed in that I've uh, you know managed to be on both of the podcasts after after we've won a game. And it's, it, it makes life a little bit easier. But just before we get into Leicester, we celebrate Black Friday this week. And at The Athletic, they're giving you the chance to subscribe to The Athletic for the best ever price. Just £1 a month for a full 12 months. And you can cancel at any time. So you can access all of The Athletic. Athletic all year long, including all of our podcasts, including this absolute wonder piece that's going to go out tonight, ad-free. We'll bring you unrivaled coverage of Fulham and the Premier League for an unbeatable price, and there won't be running any better deals anytime soon. So the offer runs up to the 4th of December, and don't miss out on that. There's some brilliant work on there from Peter Rutzler, who obviously features on our Thursday podcast. He wrote a piece about Fulham's risk and reward, and actually a piece that's very, very <laughs> easy to read after tonight, because it, re- it reads like Fulham took advantage of the points that were made in it. But also, there's been some, some brilliant bits on there recently on The Athletic Guy. You and I were talking about a piece that was written with Gary Lineker analysing his goals. Yeah, I thought it was... Great, and actually watching the game after Joel, I, so I read the game, read the piece, and I watched the Man U Southampton game, which Cavani came on, and they talked a lot in the piece about attacking the space, and then Cavani just did that, and it was quite cool to see, you know, those words in action, uh, just a few moments later. Yeah, I mean, just it's a, it's just lots of really good content, and and I will I will put my weight behind that because it it, it does it does read nicely. Um, but let's get back to Fulham and. All I want to do is talk about how brilliant we were, but I think we're going to have to work through this in in order. So, Drew, before we get into the actual game itself, do you want to give us some three-word reviews? Yeah, there was a few lovely ones tonight. Uh, we have uh, Jacob Kruper with Parker Outfoxes Rogers. Uh, I just wanted somebody to use Outfoxes, uh, and we got the chance to, so that was great. Uh, we've got uh, Liam Ballard, Scotty P, Masterclass. I'm sure he's going to take a lot of the plaudits for... Uh, the way we set up tonight, which raised more than one or two eyebrows at the beginning of the game. Uh, and then we have Josh Whitcomb, Practical Tactical Spectacle, which, uh, you know, Ooh, today, that's nice. yeah, it gave all of us a little tingling. Uh, no, never mind. Um, and then we've got uh, finally DG, which is Ash Greeno 69 for the wardrobe. Oh, yeah, that was nice. There was a lot of them, you know. Points for Papa, I thought was a was a nice one that I saw for a couple of people, including our favourite old Soul Bamba. Yeah, um, nice. But Christian Silver added Parker's Fox Trap, which I thought was nice. Oh yeah, I thought that was um, I thought that was clever. 
Um, but yeah, <laughs> let's get into it, shall we, Coops? Yeah, yeah, I like it. It's funny and clever. Let's start with the lineup. Uh, what did you think when when that Fulham team was announced? Well, I mean, there's obviously some shocks in there. Mitrovic being dropped, Kenny coming in for, sorry, going out for Ruben Loftus Cheek and so on. But I felt on balance, it was you know it, it paid dividends in the end. And I think just going off the back of the positives uh, after the performance against. Everton, I think that it I, it made sense to be honest. I, I I mean, obviously you can look at the sort of the question marks are being thrown at playing Cava, what seemed to be a, a, a false nine position. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, it, it sort of it sort of paid off. I guess I thought Cav, you know, he he was um, he redeemed himself with the with the with the penalty. But he, he had a very good game overall, and you know we can't rely on Mitrovic all too that often and if he has been a little bit off form then I say why not mix it up a bit yeah Drew he started slow but steady but you could see what Parker was doing with the kind of five at the back that that transitioned to a four we didn't have much possession to begin with but if we when we did have the ball you saw Bobby Reed start to explode forward from that kind of right wing back slot into midfield and it seemed like Parker had a plan that was extremely well executed tonight yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'd like to sound as level-headed as as George just did, but when I saw that lineup, I was uh, I wasn't happy at all. I think my brother texted me and just said, "Well, that's unacceptable," <laughs> and I just laughed because I was like, "This is absolutely this is terrible." I, I was thinking to myself, I was writing writing down in my notes, and I said, "You know, at least with Mitrovic, if you look at our front our front three with Mitrovic, it's kind of like Shearer's hairline circa 2006, and Mitrovic is that tuft of hair in the middle." But we're, <laughs> what, but we're, <laughs> Bear with me here, <laughs> but without him, we've gone full skinhead. We're Shearer twenty twenty. There's nothing. There's nothing there, and I wasn't happy at all. But as you say, you started to see it uh, come together in those opening stages of the game. And you know, Bobby Decker over Reed deserves a, a, an Oscar, a, a Tony, an Olivier Award, a, a Nobel Prize, whatever it is for his performance tonight, because he was playing all sorts of different roles and he was playing them all well. And it, and it was starting to work from the early stages. And I sort of settled back down into my sofa and said, "Well, right, I'll shut my mouth a minute." Yeah, I mean, it was one of those ones where for the last couple of games, Guy, I've been kind of counting down to the 15 minute mark. And after that, you sort of breathe a sigh of release. And today it got to 20 minutes. And I was like, oh, that's nice. One, we haven't conceded. And two, it, you know, we, we didn't feel massively under pressure in those first 20 minutes. It felt like while we didn't have much of the ball, we didn't see too many you know, openings for Leicester to exploit, which is what we were worried about. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, I can't remember what, what minute this was actually in, but there was that, that shot. It came from a second ball that uh, Tielemans had to hit the post and then yeah. Kavana put it over. Um, Somehow. Yeah, but I, I was convinced he was offside, but um, apparently someone was playing him on. But anyway, yeah, no, you're right overall. Um, I felt like Leicester were pressing very high, weren't they, as, as we know they do. And like uh, we actually got the ball away um, up the field quite well. And, you know, hitting hitting the balls down those channels, which, you know, eventually led to, to our penalty. But then also on the other side, Robinson doing it well with Lookman and I think we just played out from the back calmly but then got rid of it when we had to. <laughs> out, out of nowhere it seemed the first goal just exploded into life and Anguissa gets the ball plays a nice little one-two and then just storms through the entire field and it, it's one of those things where when you see that in full flight you're like this is how you know you know when you get that moment where you're like oh everybody's just seen the player that we've kind of been threatening to see watching full 90 minutes for a long time Coops and I just thought he was exceptional again in the middle today. And, and that run for the goal is very much all him. Yeah, I mean, I know I've uh, 
I've been a critic of Zambo in the past and I've always said, I want to see the lad do well. I want to see the lad do well. And he he was just incredible tonight. And the, the, he's the, the archetypal box-to-box midfielder and just his calmness and presence on the ball and the strength as well. Just nobody seems to be able to get near him. But not only is it the, the strength to ward off the players and then make that acceleration to make that run, but the, the weight on the pass to Lookman is just exquisite. It could not be any more perfect and it just gives Lookman that extra second of time to compose himself and then put that ball in the back of the net that any other sort of waiting which is you know there's a potential for the last, uh, the last defender to get back or he'll fluff his lines but yeah I mean the the goal needs to Zambo needs to get as much credit for the goal as Lookman in my opinion it was just you know sensational and a, and a fantastic performance all round from from the big man. Yeah, he, he draws the defender beautifully, Drew. And uh, I think this is something that's underrated because Fafana has been excellent for Leicester in the last couple of games and ha- has really been proving his worth. Obviously, still a young player, but ha- has very much settled in very comfortably in the Premier League. And and Zambo, to draw him and then play the ball through, just, you know, yes, there are questions to be asked of the Leicester defence, but it's just a, a lovely bit of nous. Yeah, and when you see him charging up the pitch with such grace and poison. And- and just determination. You just you tell me there's not a Premier League side that wouldn't want a piece of that. Wouldn't want a piece of that in their side. And it's like you said, it's showing that, you know, oh, we've got this player on our hands that we've been all been telling you about, but nobody, you know, everybody's looking at the narrative of the round the club the last time we were up and, you know, overpaid Sulk or whatever. But we know, we know different. And he showed it in that goal and, uh, in setting up for that, for that opener. And yeah, it was just, it was nice to have, for him to have that moment um, in front of a, in front of a, a, a large audience. Um, and, you know, it, take nothing away from Lookman as well, you know, he had that composure for that goal that was lacking when he sort of did his sort of unconvincing run up for the dreaded Penenka. He, there, you know, there was there was no doubt in his mind how he was going to pass that through, uh, get that past Schmeichel for the uh, for the opener and credit to him as well. Yeah, I mean, there was there was no chance he was dinking that over him. Although it would have been a nice <laughs> a nice you know nod to the pass. I think you know I realised that. A guy, you mentioned it earlier, but the the penalty comes from a lovely lofted ball over the top and and Bobby Decordovery taking full advantage of Christian Fuchs. And I thought it was really interesting tonight that Fulham targeted that side of the pitch. We saw the ball time and time again played over the heads of Johnny Evans and Christian Fuchs. You know, they left Fafana alone for the for the best part. And and actually, that's where the joy came. And, and to get that second goal so quickly after the first and really kind of settle those nerves, especially because we score and we're like, oh, God, here we go. We're going to settle in for 70 minutes of us just sitting behind the ball, looking looking tired. And, and for us to go and get another one straight away was one, a, a lovely sign of intent, but two, showed exactly how Fulham planned on playing this game. Yeah, I think there's a couple of points that I could talk to there. Um, maybe... Just the overall brilliant job Parker did tactically to one target that side, as you said. Um, but also the fact that the second goal came from the penalty spot, which has obviously been such a hoodoo. And I don't know, I've never been more nervous watching Fulham take a penalty than I was just then, which is ridiculous because, you know, obviously it's a big game, but it's only the 10th game of the season. And yet here we are, um, you know, I, or I, I, was, I was certainly, my heart was racing when <laughs> Cav was standing over that pen. So I think that is just a great monkey to get off the back, like the fact that we've scored a penalty. And yeah, just, I mean, <laughs> well, obviously the result is important, but score a penalty as well is just lovely. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's been such a hoodoo. And, and we we do have to be careful not to assume it's all over. I, mean, I remember in that season, the season of the missed penalties, shall we say, we did end up scoring a couple in the middle of it and then went back to missing them. So it, it's not always perfect, but it's just good to get it off the back and, and stop the narrative a little bit in its tracks, Coops. Oh, absolutely. I I When we got... Uh, the second that it got thrown to VAR and you saw it that first replay on the monitor, I was like, it's a pen. Like you, everyone knew it. And then at first I thought I'd have this kind of resigned feeling of, oh, well, we're going to miss it. And it's this sort of default setting that all Fulham fans have at the moment. Like our oh, penalties just got to assume that they're going to count for nothing. But I was so, so proud when I saw Cab step up. At first I was like, oh God, like Cab's up. And then I was like, he's just going to welly it. There's, there's nothing else he could possibly do in this situation other than just hammer it as hard as he can. And to be fair play to the lad, he did it and he, he hit the back of the net. And let's not forget, Kasper Michael is a, an exceptional goalkeeper who you know, has got a good track record against penalties. And yeah, he, he did he did proud. It's a fantastic sort of mo- uh, monkey to get off the back, as you said, Guy. And th- th- let's hope that we're not going to slip back into that. Uh, for Mrs. as we did in the, in the in the season of Miss Penalties, as you called it, Jack. But yeah, we don't want to go. We don't want to go back into no. it. And um, Drew, it's a it's a beautiful penalty. It's a, like a lovely hit. It's a fantastic penalty, and you know you can see that Schmeichel even guessed the right way and couldn't get to it. And that's you know a lovely mark of the of the of the strike from twelve yards. And I don't know who gets the credit. Whether I mean, I'm assuming it's going to be Scott Parker ultimately. But is it Cab who stepped forward and said, "You know what"? I didn't get a fair crack of the whip last time. I'm up for taking this again. Give it to me. I'm going to have it. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm not the only one who's going to have been sat there screaming for Reed to take the penalty because, uh, you know, I think we've all read Sammy's piece, uh, certainly among the Fulhamish team and, and the stats say a few more, but uh, Bad Techard over Reed's got the best uh, strike record from 12 yards. So we all wanted him to take it, I'm sure. But I'm so pleased that, uh, that Cab did sort of step forward and take it. It was a thousand percent the right move. And, that's not to say that Ivan Cavalera should be our penalty taker going forward. I think we should go back to, to, to Mitrovic and give him the same chance to to make it right because I think hopefully that will sort of send a message to say, look, let's let's own our mistakes, let's learn from them and let's uh, let's do what we were talking about on Thursday, how the penalties are, a, are a, a skill and we need to master it because actually in the era of VAR, it is one of uh, the best ways for a team like us uh, to get ahead in the game. It is really, it's a really interesting point you say there in that the thing that I found most frustrating about this sort of, you know, terrible form, a penalty form that we hit is that it was just the lack of bottle and the lack of, you know, leadership in the team. Like nobody looked like they wanted to take it. And it, it was just like, we, we're just lacking confidence. And then when Lookman stepped up and did his panicker, it was like, no, not that much confidence. But yeah, so for Cav to do that was a massive move, but it does poise a really really interesting question like who's gonna who's gonna take him from now on because I mean Cav uh, he's not a, a dead cert in the lineup if he's not on the pitch who's who's gonna take it what do you reckon Jack where, where, who do you go for from here well I, I mean I think you keep you leave it with Cav for now I would anyway especially if he's on the pitch because he's he's taken one and scored it right and and I think that there's a level of this which you should let everybody like Drew says maybe try and own their mistakes and and, and own it and see what it is but also you want the kind of confidence in the team that anybody could step up and take one and and everyone will be confident. So, uh, you know, you don't change it, I don't think, now because because Cav has scored one. It would be, be weird to now take them off him, right? But it, at the same time, if he's not on the pitch, then there shouldn't be like this panic attack, this worry. It just needs to be telegraphed nicely that whoever takes the penalties takes the penalties and that that's where, we're at, where, where we are with it. But I want to take it on because I thought that that Cav 
penalty and the goal was the catalyst for his performance to drastically improve Guy. And he actually, after the penalty, looked so much more confident. He looked so like much more comfortable. And and suddenly he's doing you know Maradona turns around the edge of the area and holding players up and and beating his man and in stuff that we just hadn't seen from him for a, quite a while now. Yeah, and I think it's interesting as well that he kind of played as this type kind of false nine that often in his career. You wouldn't have thought anyway. Um, so it's obviously a new thing for him as well. And. I do think that he made all the right runs going forward when, when we were looking to counter-attack, which is a good sign. And as you said, like he's always had that ability to kind of do that roulette on the edge of the box. And he, he's, he's, I always thought he's the type of player to kill a ball that's been sprayed to him from 70 yards away, kill absolutely dead, and then hit the cross into touch on the opposite side. You know, that, 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 that's, that, that's what I've associated with him. But as you, as you said, he really came into his own and... I'm going to repeat myself, but I was really impressed with the runs he was making in behind. Yeah, I mean, that, that was it. And and I think, you know, the, the idea sometimes of playing a false nine is someone's going to drop in and link play is actually maybe not that useful here in terms of how he he played. I think you're, you're right to call it that because he's not an out and out number nine. But in the sense, he, he played as the kind of Jamie Vardy figure. He, he very much stretched the defence. He was the person on the shoulder looking to get in behind. And I know it's Coops, it's something that you said that the way that Fulham played on the counter today was something that we haven't seen in a little while. Yeah, it's it's been a it's been it's been a long while, and I was I I've said this as I was watching the game, and I didn't I was doing the Instagram, but I didn't want to put it out there in case I jinxed it. But Fulham, Fulham's performance today reminded me of how Leicester played in fifteen sixteen. You know, we we were absorbing the pressure and then trying to hit on the counter, and it's something that we haven't seen for quite some time. And I I don't know whether tonight there might have been a sort of penny drop kind of moment in that. Maybe Scott has realised this is how we're going to have to play in order to, in order to get results in this league because we're not going to be able to outpossess teams and just pass the ball around and you know get those sort of one nil victories and then sit back and just hope to God that we can hold on for large stretches of the game. And um, it's just exciting. It was it was like when was the last time we saw like you know we had Castro Michael in our area in the last minute and then we were bombing forward and we could have got a last minute goal to seal it off. I I mean I particularly love this type of football and I hope that we see an, a, a bit more of it. But I mean that's not to say that I want to see us become a bit predictable and then become too relentless formation. But it's it's one of the good things about this Fulham side. I feel like we've got enough talent and dynamism in the team that we can just keep mixing it up. And I feel like it's up to Scott to to match the, our opposition to a sort of style of play. But I mean I mean that's an, an incredibly um, difficult thing to do but uh, yeah I, I definitely would like to see us adopt this counter-attacking uh, counter style a bit more often. I, I, I want to come back to the style point because I think it's it's a discussion for potentially after the game about how Fulham need to be able to and show tonight that perhaps they can mix it up a little bit more than, than the last time we were in the Premier League so we come back to style but but Joe I want to just take your thoughts on on the second half because you know, there was two changes at the break that the Brendan Rodgers went to a back four to try and to influence the game higher up. And and yet I actually thought that Fulham were better in the second half than perhaps we were in the first, which is a weird thing to say, considering we lost the half one nil, if you will. But I thought we had the better chances. I thought we created out, created and carved out more in the second half than we perhaps did in the first. And, and we looked like a team very much in control, at least until they scored. Yeah, it was nice as well because, you know, touching back on that, on the, the star point, like we weren't just sitting back and trying to defend for the, for the 45. It was a more, uh, it was a more confident 
uh, confident performance to that 45. I mean, I'm, I'm, we're playing mid- midway through the, first, the second half and I'm seeing these uh, foxes never quit banners on the side of, uh, on, on the seats where they're covered up. And, and I'm thinking, I know it's like cookie cutter slogan bollocks, but like you've seen it time and time again from this lesser side that they can do that. So for us to to sort of wear them down a bit more and take it to the to the latter stages, I was getting more and more confident. But you knew that Rogers wasn't going to sort of let uh, let it be a, a two 0 victory at uh, at their place. So when they scored in the last sort of five minutes, ten minutes, if you include injury time, I kind of sort of had that feeling of foreboding. But f- overall, when you look back at the the second forty five, it was it was almost it was almost deserve it of more plaudits in the first just because of the the confidence and the way that we saw it out yeah for sure uh, i mean guy a, a weird goal to concede and, and a frustrating one in some ways obviously it's a beautiful finish from harvey barnes and there's not much you can do about that but the first time i think i remember in the game at least james justin has just been given the time to to get his head up and pick out a cross and it's the first time he's not closed down and suddenly they score from it and it does start to you know to worry you at that point you're like oh 10 minutes left and we've just decided that this is the point we're going to stop closing people down it really does start to get in your head yeah and, and I thought um in, in a similar way to us really as we said before they didn't really threaten that much Leicester but what threat they did have did come down our left as well which has been a, a you know a problem side for us you, you know for at least last season and there was that also that chance at the end once Brian had come on that um it didn't quite track Justin again, who managed to get his foot on it, and then luckily Anderson sweeps it away. But uh, you're right in that um, it, it was the first time that Justin really managed to get a cross in, and I, I was a bit concerned when the ball did fall to Barnes and he, and he banged it in that um, there was a bit of pointing going on at a few different players, which like w- did me worry me a little bit at the time because I was like, well, if they're not sure who they're supposed to be picking up or whatever. But um, I think overall, it, what is this the fourth straight game we played with this? Back four, back five, if you include the keeper, I think. Um, So it's still relatively young back four, if you want to call it that. And I don't know, to concede only one goal to Leicester, who are a fantastic attacking side. He's got, you know, top goal scorer in the Premier League last season. I think it's just a great indictment of the work that um, the coaching staff are doing. Yeah, I think you're right. And Drew, I just want to go back to you on one last bit. That corner at the end, which was bizarre and and suddenly Mitrovic beat about three players which one was weird in itself right but uh, and then he doesn't shoot he goes to the pass and it, it kind of blew my mind a little bit you know you, you want your center forward we've talked about it at times before to to be a little bit greedy to, to have that that have that eye for gold and, and and there's there's something in that Mitrovic can look up and and try and spot a pass but it did seem a bit odd to me that he didn't shoot yeah I, I I'm not sure whether it I'm not sure whether it's a lack of confidence, more just him being unselfish, as you said, and and as well when you're when you're at his level, you know the way his the way his feet are positioned, the way his body's positioned. Maybe at that moment he felt like it was it was a better option for him than to try and uh, to try and hit it. Maybe you know something like that that we can't necessarily see from that angle. But certainly it was a bit. Uh, I just expected it was going to be three and round it off, and we all have a little clap and a uh, three one, and we all have a little clap and a cheer, and and we go home happy. But. It was a weird one, um, but I certainly think it was uh, it was just him trying to be uh, either unselfish, trying to run the clock down. I don't know, but it was a bit odd. But <laughs> didn't I, I, I didn't matter in the end, did it? I, th- I think it was absolutely the right decision. To Do you? Yeah, I, I I don't know. I just it was at the end. We won a corner out of it, and um, you know, got the ball up in their area. I probably probably didn't look very good on XG as well, shooting from there. So that's that's probably why I didn't shoot. I'd have well did. You put it into. I'd have put it into next week. I'd have <laughs> gone out of the stadium. You know, just just fire it over. But it's um, 
I mean, look, it was one of those things where when he, where as soon as the corner was taken, it, it blew up. Anyway, I just, it was a weird one because I thought that if you're Alexander Mitrovic, you think I've probably got a better shot here than on Olaina. Or maybe he just saw the Olaina goal against West Brom and was like, nope, give it to that lad and let him hit it. So, um, right, we'll be back after the break to talk about Fulham's stylistic approach. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast with me, Jack Collins. I'm joined by George Cooper. Why? Drew Heatley. Hello. And Guy Barlow. Fulham won. <laughs> Hello. Well, Fulham won. Fulham won. I know. It's just one of those things, isn't it? it? You have to keep pinching yourself and reminding yourself because we were looking at this four game run and especially after the Everton game, being like, oh, doesn't look good, boys. And yet <laughs> here we are. Here we are. Three points to the good and out of the relegation zone. Um, but tonight we played on the counter, uh, as Coops has pointed out quite extensively. And I wanted to talk about that a little bit more because I think it's intriguing that Fulham have to be able to adapt in these scenarios this year. If we are going to survive, we've got to learn how to play against different sides. And if we had gone with the traditional Mitrovic route, which involves us trying to get the ball into the area against three at the back who have been excellent in the air this season, especially Johnny Evans and, and Wesley Fofana, you know, it's one of those things where you think about it and you go, that might not have worked. And, and, and Scotty's recognised that, played with pace, played on the break, played on the counter and, and done it to brilliant effectiveness. And it's to kind of warm my heart a little bit that Scott is learning here, it seems, to play in a different way and to mix up that style. And he's not afraid to pull down his big guns in Tom Kearney and Alexander Mitrovic. You go, just this isn't the game for you. And that's an important leadership role, Drew. It is. And it and it's good that it worked today because it sort of sets out and validates that approach. I think it's it's absolutely the right way to go. We have to we have to be a Swiss Army knife in this league if we want to try and get the points that we need to do. We saw it last time when you're when you're so drilled in one way of playing, and I don't mean drilled in the in the Hodgson way. I mean we are so sort of brittle and stubborn. It didn't work, and you need to un, you need to pick the different locks of which there are many different types in this league. And quite frankly, we need to be greater than the sum of our parts in the Roy Hodgson way because you know looking at the the the. I don't know the Bobby Decadova Reeds and the and the Ivan Cavaleros. No disrespect, but they're not what you would expect to be. Uh, you know, established Premier League players or the players that you need to stay up because this league has changed so much since the last time we were there. So we need to be greater than some of our parts, and to do that, we need to have several strings to our bow. And I think that we're starting to see Scott demonstrate that. And the fact that we got the points on the board tonight validates that approach, and is something that we'll hopefully see more of. Guy, when Slavis Jukanovic got sacked. One of the things that was leveled at him as as a kind of complaint in some ways, and, you know, it's not necessarily a, oh, this is right or wrong, but it was that he was too stubborn to his style of play and it didn't work against the bigger teams in the Premier League and we weren't picking up the points that we expected to, to happen. When, when Parker came in, we saw that he'd worked, obviously, under Pochettino at Spurs, under Jokanovic, but also under Ranieri and seen the different elements. And, and you could say the same for Ranieri, perhaps, that he was too stubborn in his own line of, of how he wanted to play. And it didn't suit Fulham. It didn't suit the way the players that Fulham had. And, and yet Scott needed to show, I think, a bit more of that adaptability in order to showcase the best of the people he'd learned from. And if he can continue to do that, he, he's going down that path. Yeah, I think it's quite an interesting point. I would maybe come across it a slightly different way in that I do think you need to have this kind of overall style. But I've been, I, you know, they talk about another sport. Identity almost. Yeah, right. but, and they talk about another sports about having these matchups, you know, NFL or even cricket where you want like your best batsman facing this bowler because he scores well against them, whatever. 
And in football, I think the same kind of principle can be applied. So we a good matchup with like Cav versus Evans and a good matchup with like Loftus-Cheek versus um, uh, Fuchs. So I, I think it's about adaptability of players whilst maintaining a, like a kind of identity, as you said. And I really agree with Drew's point that uh, dropping Kearney and Mitrovic is, is now like, validated, really. Um, because it was it's such an easy thing to jump on the fact that they were the you know the two most important players uh, club captain and then the person who takes over the armband when Kenny's not playing and it's just an interesting like it was actually quite bizarre that it was just a totally different side to what we've seen and I remember in, I think it was even in the playoffs um, Sky put up that graphic about goals from fast breaks or something and Fulham were bottom of the league and. Obviously, we've got at least one tonight and another, hopefully, loads more this season. I, th- I think it's just, it's interesting that, I don't know, that adaptability, we need to be able to change the style game to game, but keep a kind of overall identity, I guess. Yeah, and and maybe it comes down to that back five, as we talked about earlier, Coops, you know, sticking together, having a kind of solid structural defensive unit. Now, it might not be exactly this. It might have Kenny Tete as part of it. There might be more room for manoeuvre a little bit there. But if, you know, you have a, a back five you can vaguely rely on in terms of them being steady, then you can change things in front of you without necessarily messing up the, the spirit of the side. Mm, yeah, and I, I think that, <clears throat> the success of that back five has, has got to come down to this centre-back pairing. You know, I've, I thought it was interesting to see Joaquin Anderson being given the captain's armband um, in Kenny and Mitrovic's absence, just because he's so new, I guess. But, you know, it it, it proved to be uh, the valid decision in the performance that he gave today and fantastic and, and running the show. And it, I mean, this, as you said, the stability of the back five and the, we um, as Guy pointed out, you know, we, we, we played, the sort of that lineup for the last sort of five games now we're starting to hit a bit of form and the players are starting to gel a bit more and we're seeing some really solid defensive performances which I think if you'd asked us about six weeks ago whether we'd have this level of competence in our defense you'd you'd be like it's not it's just not going to happen so it's it's great building blocks that we're that we're starting to to move forward from and and yeah we're, we're seeing some very solid defensive performances and hopefully that will give or attack the confidence to know that they can move forward with a bit of fluidity and break on the counter without having to worry about losing the ball too much. And, you know, it all, it all ties in together at the end of the day, doesn't it? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And and it kind of comes on to the final point, Drew, which is if you if you take all of this and you look at a, a game like this and you think maybe it's similar for, for Man City next weekend or, or for Liverpool perhaps, but, you know, they're not all games that you need to rely on every player for. And it's nice to be able to, to bring players in and out, especially this season where there are so many different bits and bobs at play and COVID and fixture congestion and and needing to rotate the squad a little bit more than you perhaps usually would Um, and, and taking that and then thinking okay there are games like a Brighton at home where we think, right, if Mitrovic and Kearney aren't playing that one, we're maybe not approaching it the right way. And there are games that's like City away where you think, okay, maybe you don't want an Alexander Mitrovic and a Tom Kearney playing the full 90 minutes because it's not a game that necessarily plays their strengths because we're not going to dominate the ball and we're not going to be looking to, to whip cha- whip balls into the into the box to to make chances like that. And therefore, being able to change that side up a little bit in that in that exact way does give us some options and it also keeps opposition managers guessing. Absolutely. And today was, 
more important in many ways than the West Brom win in, in the sense that, okay, so if you want to stay up, you need to beat the teams around you. That 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 is proven throughout the years. But what we've done here is we've won away from home against one of the teams challenging at the top of the Premier League using, uh, you know, dipping into the tactics bag and, and dipping into to changing the style up a little bit ahead of two games against City and, and Liverpool where, you know, we're not going to use the fruit term free hits anymore. We're going to use the term. We're going to use the, the the term getting a result, and we're going to use it by any means necessary. We can now start to we can now start to 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 experiment and carry on because it was validated today and it worked. So you know we're playing City, who you know are only uh, well only only the eight points ahead of us. But my point being with City is that they're not having as good a season as anybody expected. So there's no reason why we can't go there, play in a similar way that we did today. Uh, and see what happens because it's no longer, you know, we're going to go there and get our asses handed to us. It's certainly a possibility, but we're showing now that there's more to us than meets the eye and that gives you a little bit more optimism than before and the win tonight relieves a little bit of pressure because we're now not looking back at the baggies as the only uh, three-point haul that we've got. Yeah, and that's important, Guy, to you know, to finish this bit off is that we can go into to City and Liverpool a little bit more kind of scot free now. Not again, like we say, free hits are is a bad term, and I've said this from the start because it, it gives you the impression that them games are impossible to win. But it gives you the kind of security that we've picked up three points out of a period that we weren't expecting to get anything from. And you go into those games being like, okay, we've got a little bit of momentum behind us. Yes, City were brilliant against Burnley at the weekend, but they, like Drew says, they have been a little bit on and off. They've got a, a midweek game in the Champions League and they're coming into the back of this off, you know, this weekend. Then they've got a midweek and then again us and then another midweek. There's going to be squad rotation and suddenly you think, OK, maybe there's a chance. I mean, yeah, I actually had to remind myself of this even before today that it's, football is quite a simple game, isn't it? And sometimes, um, <laughs> sometimes 11 players can turn up and be better than the exposed team on paper, you know, and that's what happened tonight. And that can happen at any time. And obviously when, when you're down at the bottom, it doesn't feel like it's going to happen at all. But um, just the other thing I was going to say was just, if memory serves two years ago when we were relegated, we didn't get a single point at home or away against the top six, I believe. So yeah. something like this, a win tonight, is just one of those bonus results. And yes, we lost at home to... Palace and Villa already this year so this could just be making up for those results but still to go and get a result like this is just such an important um, belief thing for to, to, to again even in the just the next game we've got you know we can get a point in the city yeah Absolutely. There's, there's no fear. And we'll talk a little bit more about that City game. And of course, the small matter of a local derby in the FA Cup third round after the break. Welcome back to the Fulhamish pod. And in the middle of all the madness and Fulham's three points tonight, we drew Queen's Park Rangers away in the FA Cup, boys. Now, there probably won't be fans at this, or at least there definitely won't be away fans at this. So it does kind of lose a little bit of that. But it's quite fun, Coops, and I know your reaction to this would have been straight out of the football factory. Yeah, I was. <laughs> yes, fucking yes. I was. I was delighted. I love QP. I love playing QPR. They're my favourite rivals. Always have been. Like way back, like going way back to the when we stuffed them six 0 at Craven Cottage. Ever since then, it's just been the one that I look out for on the fixture list. And I think any, I mean, hopefully, it's going to be televised as well. If we, you know, there's been. 
more uh, matches such as this sort of put on telly recently and with the FA Cup it being played on BBC isn't it must be so we'll get to watch it on telly it'll be another one of those games I mean there's not I mean uh, let's not sort of beat around the bush here the FA Cup's not going to be our priority by any stretch of the imagination so it's a bit of a sort of no pressure local derby why wouldn't you want that it's it's, it do you know what I mean you you can't be upset can you it's the absolute definition of the magic of the magic of the cup you go into a a lower league opposition at Mm -hmm. their place you're going to see the tv stations cramped outside trying to get in i'm not sure if they've got the facilities so it might be on tv um and it's just you know it's exactly what you want it's it's what football's all all about it's also a bit of a weird one um playing during the third rounds i I know uh coops has said that you know the fa cup's not going to be a priority but i do like watching the fa cup third round draw and it was a little bit of a disappointment not to see that. Um, but yeah, away at a lower league side is exactly what you want, really. <laughs> I love I'm it. Just, just sad I can't be in the school end. I have such happy memories in that in that end. And it, it's just one of those, you know, the Friday night game, Fulham in that black kit, the Steffi Hansen goal after the miss. Pogremniak. Pogremniak. But it's just yeah. like, we had such happy days oh, in QPR. Yes. It's, been, it's, been a, it's been a happy hunting ground for us. And I think that adds to the kind of, the myth of it a little bit you know it's it's one of those weird triangles where you know aside from in really important games we lose to Brentford they lose to QPR and we beat QPR you know, like <laughs> a really weird really weird kind of round robin that's going on but it's um it will be fun either way and at least you know we'll fingers crossed that if we can't be at the game then we'll at least be able to to watch it in in, in the pub or whatever and, and and be able to enjoy it a little bit more because those games are are special yeah. and uh, I, I'm I'm very pleased there's nothing I'd love to do more than on a sunny early December Saturday going to that Heinz baked bean tin of a ground and watching us stuff them <laughs> three in a one. But you know, from the pub is a is a wonderful compromise. So we'll see. It's, 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 we'll it's, take what we can get. Yeah, yeah, it's a win-win. You've got to look at it that way. It's the only way that I, I see it, to be honest. Absolutely. Um, well, a couple of bits and bobs of admin to do to, to finish this podcast. But before we do that, lads, I just take your thoughts on on City a little bit and how would you approach the game at City? Are you going with an unchanged lineup here, Coops? Because it's difficult to think how you alter this too much. Um, yeah, it's a really, it's a really tough one <laughs> to, to be, to be quite honest. And I, I mean, Scott is, as he's proved to be, a very, a very tough manager to predict. But I feel as if we're obviously not going to outpossess City. So I would, I'd probably go unchanged and just try and be reactive to how the game's panning out, I guess. And, and and I mean, I think the most vital thing is not to concede too early because if we do that, then, you know, uh, we've seen our heads drop this season. But uh, I would I would probably on balance remain unchanged, maybe bring back Mitrovic at the expense of Cavera, even though I did think he played very well today. But just to give us a bit more sort of beef and, and maybe a, a front man to sort of let, hold the ball up a bit more. But um, yeah, that would be my only change I would say I'd stick with the back five Drew would you make any changes uh, I'd leave it um, I think you know when there's a winning formula going on keep it I don't think as, as George says rightly so we're not going to outpossess City let's try more of the same and you look at that back five and then up to, and then you look as far as up as Reed and Anguisa until Tete's back you, you can't you can't touch that anyway and then so it's just a case of the attacking combination um, and because it worked so well tonight it was it was nice to bring Mitrovic on on eighty three minutes two nil up away from home and say, oh, by the way, here's our best player. <laughs> it was kind of nice. Uh, look, you know, 
Is Mitrovic a starter for Fulham? Yes, of course he is. Uh, but I don't think we necessarily need to tinker around too much, especially with City coming up so quickly on Saturday. I mean, it's a smaller gap than usual, so stick for me. Guy, I would potentially bring Tom Kearney back for Ruben Loftus-Cheek, who I thought was a little bit ineffective this evening, but I, I'd be curious to see what your thoughts are. I think I'd agree with you there, Jack. <laughs> um, I, I'm not really sure if it was his type of match, perhaps, you know, um, in terms of the way we were trying to play, as we talked about earlier, we were trying to play on the counter, and he's not not the quickest, I guess. But um, yeah, I, and I actually would have brought Kenny on tonight as well, you know, just yeah, to agreed. hold the ball up and kill the game off, as we as we've seen him do so many times before. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if I'd make any changes next week. Um, I think you know this is a bit of a depressing thought but I think it is just a case of not getting battered isn't it um yeah <laughs> because, 100%. because you know um goal difference is already looking a little bit uh lower than we'd like and I think you never know just the end of the season it, it, how many extra points is going to be worth to you yeah well it's, it's just one of those things just don't go and get battered I think as much for anything else you know yes goal difference but also for morale going into that Brighton game yeah if you go in off a win off Leicester and you you lose narrowly even to, to two the two probably best sides in the league in in Liverpool and City then I think you're coming out of it going you know we haven't done too badly there especially when you're seeing relegation rivals in Burnley get absolutely tanked mm. by City last week I think it's important to to keep you know keep a lid on that and just be like okay they got battered if we can we can keep this minimal if we are going to not get points here you know you keep it you perform well and you you hold it together for for 90 minutes and and try and keep that defensive unit improving i think then 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 that's got to be seen as as some sort of victory even if it isn't you know the points that we perhaps would like on the board drew the last thing to do here today is to name this one so i'm going to throw it to you do you know what when you said it earlier it gave me a lump in my throat let's go points for papa Points for Papa. Love it. Yeah, I, I think that's nice. I heartily agree. It's a it's a fitting tribute to um to a man who you know keep, well most of us hold a, a very very special place in our hearts. It's not often Fulham have heroes that almost everybody loves, is it? You know, there are always people that divide opinion. There are always people that that have naysayers. But I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find someone who who didn't have a, a soft spot for Papa Boob Diop in their heart. So I like that a lot, Drew. Um, and all that's left for me to do is to say thank you very much to George Cooper. You right. <laughs> thank you very much to Drew Heatley. Up the Fulham. And thank you very much to Guy Barlow. Up the Fulham indeed. Absolutely. Uh, I've been Jack Collins. This has been Fulhamish Podcast. And we will be back on Thursday with Peter Rutzler to take a look at that City game in a little bit more depth. Um, enjoy basking in this victory and you know enjoy Fulham having three points that I think nobody in the words of Kevin McDonald would have predicted <laughs> us to have <laughs> earlier on today you whites you whites